As was mentioned earlier, we're thankful for everybody who is here this evening. And I pray that I can say something tonight that would help us and strengthen in our faith and um, understand how to move forward with the things going on in the world right now. I really didn't know what to entitle my um, lesson when I was putting it together and just kind of a last minute uh, thought was one cup, coronavirus and faith. It's just kind of what we're going to touch on tonight. So um, it's not going to be a lengthy sermon, but I hope and pray that um, something can be said that edifies the body of Christ. Um, a while back, a few weeks ago, Kylie was talking to one of her friends regarding um, services and, and possibly coming to worship service. And, and one of the questions that came up to her and she asked me, was, can somebody be allergic to grape juice? And I'd really never thought about that. And I thought it was a legitimate question. And so I thought I would look into it and see what we can learn from that. Because we all here follow what's written in the, in the gospel and what Jesus instituted. And that's that we use one cup and one loaf in the Lord's Supper. And in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28, it says there, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, Dad has a a good lesson. I think it may even be a couple lessons that he has on the cup and the communion and um, really good, very extensively. Maybe he'll teach on it soon for us again sometime, but we're not going to dive deep into that this evening. But specifically, we're going to get into um, results of panic that we are dealing with right now and that dramatically change and have changed the course of worship services in the past. And we use one cup, but we know that there are many denominations that use multiple cups. And the, the introduction of multiple cups in the Lord's Supper is really not that old when, we, when you do some research on it. During the 1860s, scientists in Europe landed on the idea that diseases are caused by germs. And these microscopic hostile agents enter your body from objects in the environment and make you sick. So the germ theory was a breakthrough in those times and in treatment of diseases. And it was clear to all these doctors and scientists that in order to go after disease, they have to go after germs. And during that time of discovery, um, a group of physicians, political activists, entrepreneurs, and religious crusaders took it upon themselves to go after germs. And they called themselves sanitarians. Well, these sanitarians targeted kissing as a source of possible contamination, among other things. And in 1888, in a medical journal, journal, one doctor went after what he called the poisoned chalice. That's what he called his article, in which he identified as the shared communion cup. And during those times, it was really easy to scare people. So, soon after that, the idea of having multiple cups was introduced into the communion services. It was reported to have started around 1890, and some of these sanitarians actually owned companies 
that sold individual communion cups. And they were trying to make a little bit of a profit. So there was ulterior motivations. Everything beyond what was written in the scripture is what they were going after. Also, there was reported um, reasons for multiple cups during those times was also racism. And whites would partake first in the communion and then the blacks. And then that kind of grew and progressed and it led to further racism where separate cups were implemented so races would not have to partake out of the same cup. And Dr. Martin Luther King said, 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in Christian America. So all of those implementations, all, the reasons why they implemented multiple cups, like I said, had no bearing on what is written in the scripture. It was all about their sanitarism. They wanting to be sanitary and racism. And I'm sure there were other factors, but I didn't get too far into that. So, grape juice. Are we or can there be an allergy to grape juice? And the answer is yes. But it is extremely uncommon. Very uncommon. And the causes of allergy to grape juice, um, allergic reactions to grape juice occur when our immune system mistakes grape juice for a foreign or harmful food. And this misidentification of grape juice makes our immune system produce immunoglobin, an antibody which reacts with red grapes, the juice, the next time we drink it, causing the allergy. And we may not be allergic to grape juice specifically, but doctors um, and scientists tend to agree that it is other elements in the grapes that cause the allergic reaction. And that might be triggered by yeast, mold, or pesticides on the grapes used in making the grape juice. And that is um, uh, documented. Dr. Vincent, Vincent Estellas from the University of Valencia in, in Spain said, allergy to grapes only become apparent in some cases when fruit ingestion is combined with other concurrent factors such as exercise or alcohol. So basically, an allergy to grapes or to grape juice is only apparent when human modification is present. And we know that we have unfermented fruit of the vine that is untouched by humans, or modified by humans, I should say, that we use here for the communion services. So how risky is it to share the communion cup with somebody else. We use and have used over years, as long as I can remember, a silver cup that we drink out of. And looking into it, silver is known to kill bacteria. Uh, it is used to treat wounds. Uh, in the old, ship captains were known to put silver coins into storage barrels to keep water fresh while they sailed the seas. And hospitals use silver in bandages for treatment on burn victims to combat, and also to combat superbugs that have come resistant to, to, to traditional antibiotic drugs. And a new study led by the Faculty of Science, Biological Scientists at the University of Calgary helps enhance understanding of silver's antibacterial properties. The research team performed a chemical genetic screen on a a uh, number of about 4,000 mutant strains of bacterium um, of E. coli. 
4,000 strains of E. coli that they tested this on, in which a unique gene in each strain was known to be knocked out or deleted. So the use of silver on E. coli killed E. coli. And Charles Gerba, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Arizona, said this, even though a person may be ill and put some virus on there, the antimicrobial activity of the silver in these cups, that seems to largely reduce the risk. In other words, we're more likely to contract germs on the door handle leading into the church or shaking somebody's hand after service than on the lip of the communion cup. But beyond all that scientific evidence, we as Christians choose something far greater is at work, and that is our faith and God. And even if we do not fully understand how that all works, that's okay. And that's where our faith kicks in. So what is our faith if we do not believe what Jesus instituted and that God's providence will take care of us? How is our faith measured if we don't believe that? Job. Uh, we remember Job, an old story of uh, faith in the Old Testament where God allowed him to be tested by Satan and Job suffered great losses, terrible grief and bodily distress and could not understand why God would allow evil people to prosper while good people suffered. But finally, uh, Job accepted that this is the part of the mystery of God, not to be explained by human logic. And in the end, Job was okay with that. In Job 42, after he had gone through all of these trials and went back and forth with God, and God finally gave him the what for, Job finally understood what was going on. In Job 42, verses 2 through 3, it says, and this is Job speaking, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Job came to the acceptance that things were at work that he did not understand. And that's our faith too. There are things that are happening that we don't understand how it happens, but it happens. And that's God's providence working. And we have to have faith in that. So the risk of infection from the communion cup isn't significant enough to change a ritual defined by Jesus and upheld by Christians for thousands of years. So that leads me to my next point that we are dealing with in the world right now, and that is, of course, the spread of coronavirus. And we as Christians need to understand how and the way that Christ would have us to respond if there is to be an epidemic. We have a duty to respond the way Christ would have us to respond. The Christian's response to plagues begin with some of Jesus' most famous teachings. Jesus said, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbors as yourself. Greater ha love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. But put plainly, the Christian ethic in a time of plague considers that our life must be always regarded as less important than that of our neighbor. So we have a responsibility to look out for others who may be sick or elderly or be more susceptible to any type of disease. It is our responsibility looking after people. 
In 1 John 3, verse 17, it says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? If we have something in our possession or some skill that we possess that we can help somebody else in need and we decide to be selfish and hoard it and not give it and not help, God's love is not in us. That's pretty plain. That's pretty simple stuff, if you ask me. So during, actually during the um, plagues in the Roman Empire, Christians actually made a name for themselves. And historians have suggested that the terrible uh, Antonine plague of the second century, which might have killed off a quarter of the Roman Empire, actually led to the spread of Christianity as Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model. But also a more famous epidemic is the plague of Cyprian, named uh, for a bishop who gave a colorful account of this disease in his sermons. It was probably a disease related to Ebola. And the plague of Cyprian helped set off what is called the crisis of the third century in the Roman world. But it did something else. It also triggered an explosive growth of Christianity during that time. So, for us as Christians... It is better that we should die serving our neighbor than be surrounded in a pile of masks that we never got to use. So this brings us to one of the more controversial elements that we see happening today, and that is canceling church. We do not do that. That is a form of panic that is happening and... Um, we see religious organizations that are considering doing that or have actually implemented doing that uh, uh, for at least a couple weeks in order to minimize the outbreak of the virus that is going on today. And although those intentions are maybe logic in our human minds and the intentions may be well and good with our human understanding, canceling the assembly of the body of Christ is in direct contradiction to the instructions made in scriptures that we are clearly to assemble on the first day of the week in order to commune, teach, pray, sing praises to God, and give of our means. I also heard today that the governor of our state has also been considering banning assemblies of 250 people or more. And although I don't think we meet that criteria of that number here, I guess it's a potential where it could go beyond that and come to smaller groups. But think about this. What do we normally and regularly pray for here? We pray that if any government issues any kind of law that would hinder us from worshiping, that we would worship regardless of the cost. Now, do we believe what we pray for? We have to believe that we're going to do that, and we will do that. Now, whether we can't do it here at this building or not, I can guarantee you that the people in this congregation will have the strength and the faith to worship regardless of the cost. Now, we also not need to forget who is in control, and that is God. God is in control all the time. The Lord knew what he was doing when his plan of communion was implemented. So where does our faith lie when we are susceptible to the pressures from the world to be sanitary, which we've been sanitary here. We have gone beyond what we normally do to 
disinfect surfaces and all that. But we don't want to comp compromise the Lord's Supper, Supper by having multiple cups or by canceling corporate worship services altogether. Jesus instituted it. He meant it. And we follow it. Now, do we believe God or not? Do we have great faith that He will carry us through this? And I believe that we do. Now, does that mean that we are careless with our life? Of course not. Absolutely not. We all do physically, we'll do all that we physically can in this life that we are capable of doing without compromising the instruction of the Word of God. And at the same time, we pray like God, to God, like He's the only one who can fix it. That's great faith. We work hard as much as we can on our side, and we have great faith in God that He's going to take care of it on His end. As Christians, we must act in faith. Along with caution and wisdom, we must remember who our true protector and sustainer of life is. We should continue living, functioning, and ministering as we would on any given day while being cautious and wise. We can only trust in the Lord, even as this virus reminds us that humanity is fragile. And in Psalms, uh, the 103rd chapter, verses 15 through 16, it says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. So as believers, the fragility of life does not drive us to despair. Rather, it should drive us nearer to Christ, nearer to the one that entered into a virus-infected world, nearer to the one that lived and ministered to the sick, nearer to the one that has given us an antidote for the greatest virus, and that is the virus of sin. We need to hear Jesus' words where he said, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's not miss an opportunity for us to show the world what faith looks like in this time of panic. It is our responsibility. It is a great opportunity for us. And again, what is our faith if we do not trust in God and His design? In Proverbs 3 and verse 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.